If you will stand with me, we'll read Romans chapter 5, 1 through 11. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, having, or much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but also, we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. You can be seated. So, at this point, Paul has already made it very clear that all are sinners, right? We saw that in Romans, the end of Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, he dealt with the Jews and Gentiles separate. And then in chapter 3, he just bunches them together and says, there's no one righteous, no, not one. And, and honestly, that's all of us. There's not a single person that stands, sits in a seat today or is hearing this message that can say that they were righteous of their own accord. And so when we get to Romans chapter 4, which we did last week, we saw that it was by faith that Abraham, as the example, as our forefather, was made righteous. And it had to be that way. It wasn't by a sign of circumcision. It wasn't by works that Abraham had done. It was by faith. Why? Because he is our forefather in the faith. So when we believe, we become the children of Abraham just as is promised. That that promise that was made to Abraham centuries ago applies to us today. Why? Because Abraham was made righteous by faith, not by works of the law, nor by circumcision. And so the faith of Abraham to see life out of the deadness of his wife's womb, life from the death of Christ, we see that in Christ, his death brought us life. We were dead, completely helpless, and yet God sent his son. And when we believe that Christ died and was raised from the dead, and he is Lord of our life, the Savior of, of our souls, then we too have God's righteousness credited to us. 
So, that's really important we remember the context of what Paul is talking about because in verse 1, he says, therefore, he's talking about everything before this point. Since he, Jesus, verse 25 of chapter 4, who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So therefore, because Christ was delivered over to die for our transgressions and delivered over to be raised and raised so that we could be justified, therefore, in verse 5, since we have been, or here it's having been justified by faith, is this a present tense or past tense? It's past. It's a completed action. It's not an ongoing. Some people want to look at justification as a, pro- a process. It isn't. It is a declaration of righteousness by God over us. And we see that in Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we are declared righteous. Not because we did something, but because of faith in Jesus Christ. So, our justification is by faith. You see that? Having been justified by faith. So since that is true, if you're a believer today and you're here, or you're hearing this message, and but if you're not a believer, then everything that I'm about to read to you does not apply to you until you believe by faith that you're justified. So for believers today, we have what I would say is an unfailing hope. So the title of our message today is Jesus, Our Unfailing Hope. So because we are justified by faith, here in verse 1, says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The result of our justification now, at this very moment, is peace with God. I know that doesn't... We've heard this verse so many times, it doesn't really sink in, does it? We have peace with God. What does that mean? The opposite was true. If, you're, if you aren't justified by faith today, then you are at war with God. There's no middle ground, right? We are actively either at war with God... Or at peace with God. It's not as though we want God. There's nothing outside of God's power, His faith that He gives through His Holy Spirit to us, that we want to be at peace with God in our flesh. But God, that doesn't mean that unbelievers don't seek peace. What it means is that they seek peace in all the wrong places. They think, well, if we get a new, if we, if, if our leaders, our government leaders, whatever, local, state, country, if our world leaders, if they can bring about peace, they can bring about peace. But that's not the case because if you remember after World War I, they made a treaty and said, this is the war that will end all wars. How far was it from World War I to World War II? 
Not many years. And there was another great war with thousands upon millions of people who died. Some from one people group, the Jews. So in our flesh, we don't want peace with God. But God puts a longing in us, that image of God that has been stamped upon us at creation, at our creation by God, puts in us a whole that desires that peace. The difference is we naturally don't think the peace will be found in God. We actually believe it will never be found in God. We are at war. And if there's anyone that understood being at war with God, who would it be if you look in the New Testament? Paul. What does it say in in the book of Acts? He was going to Damascus to kill and imprison Christians. He was at war, actively at war with God. But when he encountered God in Christ Jesus on the road, everything changed. He realized that he was at war with God, not on God's side. And so, the same with us. Every single person here at one point in our lives were enemies of God. And we see that here down in verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We'll get to that. But every single one of us were or are enemies of God today. Depending on where you are, if you are believing in Christ for salvation, you were an enemy of God. But if we aren't in Christ, we are currently enemies of God. So what a great joy. We could not have peace with God before we were justified. Before we were declared righteous, God's Enmity was against us, it says in verse 9 as well. We shall be saved from the wrath of God. God's wrath was being heaped up for us. If you remember, we were reading uh, back in chapter 3, that the wrath of God, we're storing it up in storehouses. That's what we were doing before God came, opened our eyes, and and made us righteous by declaration. So we have peace with God. And it's not, it's not on our own. That's where the second half of this verse says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our peace does not come because the world around us is at peace. Right? Our peace does not come because everyone that we know loves us. Our peace comes because we know Jesus Christ. Because He is the Lord of our lives. And that's not everything. That, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg if you look at this passage. Because in verse th- 2, he says, Through whom also. So, not only do we have peace with God, which, that's pretty incredible, right? Again, But we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. This this word for introduction, I actually prefer another word that is of the same line, is but we have 
obtained our access by faith. Our access to, what is it to? The grace in which we stand. And how, how do we get it? By faith. Right? So we're going to see that multiple times here, that it's, we're justified by faith through the blood of Christ later on. And here we have obtained our access to the grace of God by faith. Not once does Paul here say, well, if you do this, this, and this, then you're going to be okay. If you, if you come up and kneel and say a prayer, you're going to be okay. That doesn't mean that that's not... We all have to make a decision to follow Christ, and that's by responding to God's call. But that's not what saves us. It's Jesus Christ. It's, it's faith in Jesus Christ which He gives And so we not only have, have the peace of God, but we also have access to the grace of God by faith. Those both are coming by faith and are coming as a result of justification, of our justification. I mean, that to me is great news. And we're going to see here soon what that point is. So our first point this morning is... Here, at the end of chapter 2, or verse 2, well, first, the first point is peace with God is the result of justification. I already skipped over that point. <laughs> I didn't, but we are no longer at war with God, right? So, our second point, we see this in verse 2 up until the end of chapter 5. So, the second point is, Hope of final salvation is a hope that cannot fail. A hope that cannot fail. Because he says in verse, at the end of verse 2, And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. The word exalt can be uh, translated rejoice. I think rejoice is a better word. And this word rejoice is seen throughout from here until verse 11. So we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So we're not, we're not rejoicing in, in our own uh, abilities. We're not a, a rejoicing in something that we have attained, but we rejoice in the hope of seeing and being a part of the glory of God. And we should rejoice that we have peace with God, right? Or we should rejoice that we have experienced God's grace because that not everyone that we know has experienced that. And none of us deserved it. And just in case that's not enough, in verse, verse 3 he says, and not only this, he's going to say this one more time, and not only this, but we also rejoice in our tribulations. Now this sounds really strange, right? <laughs> I understand how he could rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but why would he rejoice in tribulations? Right? 
That seems really strange. Like, Paul, I think you've had too many beatings. Too many stones have been thrown at you. <laughs> I think we need to put Paul into a concussion protocol. He needs to take a few weeks off from this serving the Lord and, and get his head straight, right? Because, Paul, you shouldn't be rejoicing in tribulations. That's just messed up, right? But why? Why is he rejoicing? Why should we rejoice in tribulations? Why is he saying us, the Roman church that he's writing to, myself, Paul, why are they rejoicing in tribulations? Because in verse, at the end of verse 3, he says, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Okay, I'm kind of understanding, but still doesn't make sense. Okay, so perseverance, what, what is that? Endurance. The ability to make it to the end. Okay, that, I'm starting to track with Paul. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we're going to make some, some headway. And perseverance... Proving character. Okay. Okay, when we endure, what happens? It, it proves our character. It's, it's like a character that has been tested and passed. So I, I was thinking about uh, most automobiles. They all have to go through a test cycle to make sure that, um, that they make it. So we've all seen the crash dummy commercials. You know, the car just flying through and hitting the wall. And, and if the crash dummy survives, then they did good work because they expect accidents to happen. They want to make sure that that car protects the occupants of the car. And if that doesn't pass, guess what? They can't put that ro- car on the road. And this is the same. God, God is giving, sending us tribulation. I know this is Totally foreign to a lot of Christians because you have men like Joel Osteen preaching, you know, this prosperity gospel that has no suffering, which doesn't work outside of the U.S., by the way, um, when people are dying for their faith and throughout Christian history, you look at the Fox's Book of Martyrs and you can't say, well, they were... (laughs) They, 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 they were blessed. Yes, they were. They knew it. They had endurance. They made it. So our tribulation brings about perseverance, and that perseverance brings about proving character. It proves us, it tests us, and it prepares us to have the victory. And that proving character brings hope. So he's gone full circle so it's like he's saying, okay, we, ha- we hope in the glory of God, and not only this, we also rejoice in tribulations because eventually tribulation leads to more hope. I know that correlation, if Paul hadn't drawn it out, would not make sense. But it does because we know that, that God is bringing tribulation to create endurance in us, perseverance, to prove our character, to test it and, and prepare us. And unless that character brings hope. I mean, oftentimes I, I've, I've thought many, many, many times about how people around the world suffer for Christ. 
I mean, they see their children hanged in front of them. They're told. Uh, uh, my father-in-law told me a story this weekend about this Korean, North Korean family. And the adults were told, if you will deny Christ, we will not hang your children. But they hung them in front of them. Then they laid them down and steamrolled them. Can you imagine to be the last person to have to go through and hear all that and still die for Christ? People are doing this all over the world. That does not make sense in a real world. I, I could not understand. I could not. I can't today stand here and say, man, I could see that with my own children. That would be, I mean, I love my kids. And, but the thing is, God doesn't just throw that stuff at us. He, he increases our dependence upon Him. He increases our hope, our perseverance as time goes on. It, God doesn't just throw things at us until He knows we're ready. That doesn't mean we don't fail in, 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 in our life, but tribulation, God, it's very rare that tribulation starts at one point. It starts pretty soft, but it builds up. And I wouldn't be surprised if in our lifetime, at least my lifetime, to see real persecution start in the United States. With all this going on with the LGBTQ, Z, whatever letters they want to add to it, um, if we continue to stand for what the Bible says, we will have to make sacrifices even to our lives. But that, that hope that comes, that hope keeps us in the midst of tribulation. And I was thinking, I heard a song that we, we sung a while back. And uh, it's, Psalm, it's the singing version of Psalm 23. So let's turn there real quick. We, it's not like we don't know this verse. I just want us to see how we can have hope in the midst of difficulty. I, I, I specifically just want to look at verse 4. So we know he talks about him being his shepherd, that he does not need to want. He, he can lie down in green pastures, and, and he's always by quiet waters. But then in verse 4, it gets a little, a little dark. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's interesting. I fear no evil, for you are with me. That is the hope that he has in the midst of a, a, a dark valley of death. David can say, I don't fear because God's with me. And that's our hope. We have experienced God's faithfulness in the midst of our tribulations, and that increases our hope. And it's a cycle, right? And so as we are having our character proven, our hope increases. Every year, every difficulty, every trial, every temptation and verse 5, it says, and, the, and hope, 
This hope, this kind of hope, does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. So this hope doesn't disappoint. Why? Because it, it's based on the love of God. Right? It's, it's not based on external circumstances. It's not based on whether our, our neighbor likes us or whether our neighbor hates us. It's based on the love of God. And as long as we know that God loves us, we can remain in hope. We, we don't feel like we're going to be disappointed, and we know we're not going to be disappointed because God's love has been poured out within our hearts. It's not like we've experienced outside. It's in us. I mean, everybody who has been born again, you feel, in a sense, the love of God. Right? How many times in your life you hear a song talking about what Christ did for you and just emotions well up in you? I know it does for me. Maybe, maybe I'm weird. But like that one song we sang, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. When I hear that song, when I especially hear my name was written in his wounds, it's kind of hard for me not to be torn up inside thinking about how much God loved me. That he would send his son to bear my penalty. So how is this poured out within us? That should be your question, right? Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So when we are given the Holy Spirit, we have His love poured out within us. And God dwells within us. What a magnificent truth. Now Paul's going to explain in more depth what he's, what he's talking about. So he's made this blanket statement here that hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He's made this statement. And then in verse 6, he's going to explain. That's when he says for the, 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 he's, he's, making this. He says, for while we were still helpless, or we could say weak or sickly, while we were still helpless, weak and sickly in our sin, we were infected with sin. While we were in this place where we could do nothing good at the right time. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You say, right time? The opportune time, the exact perfect moment, Christ died for our sins. I think, well, why didn't God send him in the beginning? Because God had a perfect time. He wanted to show us our need for a Savior. There was nothing. We see centuries of failure, yet God showed mercy to the people of Israel throughout that time. And when I think about right time, I also think about 
You look in the Old Testament. You see God's mercy and grace even in the Old Testament. Why? Because the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and they wanted to go up by the sea. It's a pretty quick route. That's actually the best route from Egypt to Syria, for example. They come up by the sea, kind of where by the Mediterranean, but God said, no, don't go that way. Their time has not come. They have not fulfilled up my wrath. Their time has not come. And this is actually said multiple times to the people of Israel. No, don't. Their time is not yet. You need to wait. And that was talking about God's judgment. And yet here we see God's judgment come upon Christ for us at the right time. God had delayed not delay because it was his plan, but it seems to us from a uh, human point of view, why did God wait so long? Because he had a plan. He had a perfect plan. And in Christ Jesus, we see our judgment laid upon Christ. He died for the godly, right? Is that what it says? No. Christ died for the ungodly. So if, if you hear this message and you think, well, that was everybody else. Well, then Christ didn't die for you. Right? If, if you don't think you were ungodly, then Christ didn't die for you. Then why are you calling yourself a Christian? If you were okay, you didn't need Christ to die for you. But that's not true. We've, Romans chapter 3 makes that perfectly clear that nobody is righteous. All are wicked and ungodly. The word here that's translated ungodly is actually the negative. We all know how sometimes you put an A in front of a word to make it negative. Or in English we'll put, a, we'll put impossible. So possible, impossible. The same way the word positively is devoted to God. Here we have Completely the opposite. Again, an enemy, it gives us that same picture of someone who who does not want to devote themselves to God. Someone who has no desire to follow God. So, that's how we see the love of God. That while we were still helpless, the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Why, why would Jesus do this, right? Why would he, he die for us? And that, I think that is alluding back to the love of God. It's only explained by God's love. There's no other reason to understand why Christ would die for ungodly men. Because that, that question, I believe Paul is trying to answer that, to, to point to this question in verse 7 and 8. He says, for, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, right? Or, or though perhaps, you know, maybe for the good man, someone would dare even to die. How many of us, we've heard stories. Well, I want to bring a story. Have, you, have any of you all heard of John Robert Fox? No, no one? 
So John Robert Fox was uh, first lieutenant in World War II. He was actually from Cincinnati, Ohio. And he was a part of what they call the Buffalo Soldiers. He was African-American, and he fought in Italy. So one day, December 26, 1944, he and his group had volunteered to go to a place called, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, Soma Colonia, Italy, this a small town, and to hold off the German troops that were coming. And so as he's there, they keep getting pushed back. I mean, the, the German forces are just so much, so many more people. And they keep getting pushed down. He's in this town. He gets in this two-story building. And he starts, he's calling back and forth to the artillery saying, Hey, uh, shoot, you know, giving them coordinates to fire. And he keeps moving the coordinates closer to him. And the guy on the other side, he knows what his location is because he's holding. You know, I'm in, I'm in this spot. So he calls in, hey, move it to this spot. And he's like, okay. And then he, one last time he calls in a coordinate. He goes, um, you know that's right on top of you, right? And John Robert Fox said, fire it. Because he knew that if those German troops made it past, then the American forces would not be able to regroup and counterattack. So all these troops were around trying to get to him. And he knew that if they bombed that area, if they shot their artillery at that specific spot, that many of the German soldiers would be killed. And for the sake of his men and, and those that he, he loved, he died that day. When they finally took that town back, they came to that building and found his body and 100 German soldiers in the vicinity. And because of his bravery, they were able to take it back and the Germans were repelled. And so, you know, this is exactly the story that we see here in verse 7, right? You know, would die for someone they love, would die for someone they think is good, but have you ever heard a story of a man or a woman dying for their enemy? Anyone? I've never heard a story other than a Christian. Outside of the Christian realm, I've never heard of anyone dying for their enemy. Someone who was actively seeking to kill them. But God, verse 8, that phrase is one of the most loaded phrases, I think, in the New Testament. But God, He's not like men. God is not like men in the way he, that He loves. Why? But, why? but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did not say, you have to change sides. God did not say, you have to change uniforms. 
God did not say, you have to be different before I can save you, before I will send my son to die for you. God demonstrates his love toward us while we were still sinners. And Christ died for us. It makes me think of of John chapter 3. We all know this verse. It's not like, if you don't know this verse, you've probably never read your Bible or talked to a Christian. All right, John 3.16, we all know this verse. But oftentimes this verse gets really badly translated and misunderstood. You know why? Because we, we see here verse, four, verse 16, for God so loved the world. This so demonstrates is a word that, if you look at the original language, it's actually him saying, in this manner God loved. In this way God loved. God demonstrated his love. Same thing here, that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God demonstrated his love. That doesn't mean that his love isn't enormous, but that's not the point of chapter 16, verse 16. The point is God demonstrated his love. God didn't just say, I love you. He demonstrated it in Jesus Christ's death. God is not like us. And that's, that's why we have to be transformed because we... Understand verse 7. We understand. Why would you die for someone who's wicked? Could you, I'm sure this has happened. Can you imagine somebody giving a heart or a lung, you know, as they're dying, they, they donate their organs to, to, to someone on the, a waiting list? Could you imagine if that person could actually live and, and that heart or organ was given to a mass murderer or a terrorist or someone who ended up being a wicked, wicked person, you would feel like, man, why did I do that? Why did I get... I, I didn't want it to bring evil in the world. I wanted it to bring good. It's the same kind of... We, we want righteous men to succeed. And so when we see... Uh, Megan and I saw a commercial for something. I can't remember. Oh, that wasn't a commercial. It was a, a music video. And in this video, this man who loves his wife, his wife is dying and she gives her heart when she dies. And it's given to this other woman who has a little daughter and a husband and, and they're young. And this man goes to the, the home of this couple and they let him hear her heart. It was the heart of his, his, his wife. And that, I mean, that just so heartwarming, right? Brings tears to your eyes, maybe even. And so that, that's easy. But when God demonstrates his love, it doesn't make any sense in the flesh that God would love wicked men and women like us. If, if God would demonstrate his love to us while we were still sinners by Christ dying for us, much more than, verse 9, 
Now that we've been justified, having been justified by His blood, how much more then will we be saved from the wrath of God through Him? We have nothing to fear. That's what He's saying here. We don't need to be afraid anymore. Because if we've been justified by His blood, how much more will God save us from the wrath that we were due? That wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. And just in case we didn't get it, it's like one of my favorite pastors I like to listen to, H.B. Charles. He, he likes to say, well, I don't think you understood, so I'm going to put it in other words. He might have said a little bit different. but <laughs> So in verse 10, Paul says it again. He says, for if, we were, if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Doesn't that sound very similar to what he just said? So if, if God would reconcile us to himself through the death of his son when we were his enemies, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Do you get it? Do you get it yet? Maybe I need to put it in my own terms. I don't know. I think Paul is very clear here. He's saying... If we've been justified, we have no fear. We should be full of hope and peace. Why, why do we have peace? Because we have hope. Because we know that Christ's death not only justifies us, but it will save us. No matter what happens, no matter what the tribulation we encounter, we will stand before God one day and He will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So no matter what we go through on this side of heaven, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. Christ died for us. And if that's not enough, verse 11, and not only this, but we rejoice. I, I've tra I'm changing the word we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So we, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God we see there in verse 2. We rejoice now in God we rejoice in our justification. There's so much here to rejoice in, right? We rejoice in our justification. We rejoice in peace. We rejoice in hope. We rejoice in all that God has done for us. And we especially rejoice in knowing that the wrath of God that was stored up for us was poured out on Christ. That when we stand before God, He's not going to say, Sorry, I've got a storehouse full of wrath for you. No, that was poured out on Christ. It's been wiped away by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we stand before Him, we will be robed in white that was washed by the blood of Christ. We needed to be reconciled to God, right? We, we had to be reconciled because if we had not been reconciled to Christ... 
we are still the enemies of God. That's the amazing thing about the cross in Christ Jesus. We aren't just made neutral. We're not, we don't all become Switzerland when we become a Christian. Right? You know, Switzerland is very famous for being neutral in everything. They don't, they don't want to fight. Not only do, do we not become neutral, we become friends of God. And if, we, if you turn to chapter 8 of Romans, we become His sons and daughters. We become joint heirs with Christ. I, I don't know how much more rejoicing we should have that we go from enemies to sons and daughters. I can't think of better news a greater reason to rejoice in God and what He's done. That's why I think verse 11 ends with God, a rejoicing in God at the end. Because it's His will. The Son did the will of the Father. He desired to die for us. He was obedient to death. And God raised Him from the dead, proving His victory over sin and death. Death no longer can hold us down. We don't have to go through purgatory. We don't have to be purged from our sins elsewhere. The blood of Christ cleanses us. And through the blood of Christ, we are declared righteous. That should bring peace, right? We should be at peace no matter what's going on in our life. I'm not saying that I don't suffer at times from lack of peace. But it's, you know why I do? Why I suffer? It's because I forget what I have in Christ. It's when we take our focus off of what Christ has done for us that our peace fades away. The same with our hope. When we forget what God has done through in us from salvation to every little thing that He's done in our lives. I think a lot of us need Ebenezer Stones, God has been with me up to this point. We need to look back at those moments. What did God do? Oh man, can you remember that time when God did that? That should increase our hope because when we go through tribulation, there are other moments to look back and say, not only did God save me, but He delivered me from this. He spared me in that. He healed me. He, whatever it may be. And we can look back at that. And our hope should increase. But if we don't have hope, we won't have peace. And that hope only comes by God's work in Christ. By justifying us and promising eternal salvation, reconciliation with Him. So, how do we apply this? What... What does this mean? We deserve the wrath of God, but we have peace. So how how should that change our lives? One, it should decrease the stress we have in our life, right? Because, yes, our lives are full of busyness and, and things that we need to do, whether it's work or church or family. We have all these things, but we should have peace 
no matter what. And so that peace should be seen even in the midst of tribulation, persecution, deadlines, whatever, homework. I know that feeling. And I'm not very good at it. Just ask my kids. <laughs> they can't really talk yet, but uh, Megan would be better at uh, <laughs> being honest. But the knowledge that we have peace with God should affect every part of our lives. And knowing that we have peace with God and that others can, I know I feel like I'm beating a dead horse and you probably think I am too. We should share this hope in rejoicing with others. They should see it on our faces. They should say, what is the hope that you have? Right? They should see our lives, see the joy that we have, the peace that we have in the midst of terrible situations, and say, they are strange. Because right now, they should be hopeless. They should be tormented but God they're different and they want to know so we should be ready to tell of the hope that we have that's one is a double application to the peace so hope if we have hope we shouldn't lose hope in the midst of tribulation when hard times come that that hope should constantly remind us that we have hope. That, that no matter what happens, no one can take the love of God away from us. They can kill us for our faith as many people around the world are being killed even in this very moment for their faith. But guess what? They have hope. They stand up for truth. And that's, that's the application I have. When we have hope... We are unafraid and unashamed of the gospel. Whether that's sharing it with someone or it's saying, I will not back off because I know that this is true. And finally, I guess it would be our fourth application. And honestly, I feel like the biggest application from this section of Romans chapter 5 we should rejoice if this hope and this peace does not bring rejoicing in our hearts we do not understand what Christ did for us right if we do not understand we need to cry out Lord I want to rejoice in your hope I want to rejoice in what Jesus did for me Every day, when we hear songs of worship to Christ, to God for what He did for us, it should just awaken us a desire to sing. When we're in our car and we look over and we're singing at the top of our lungs and people are like, who's that strange person over there? And you don't care. Why? I'm praising God. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I may have the worst Voice that can only be carried in a tin bucket. You know? But I will praise Him. Our rejoicing should be a mark 
of our Christian faith. I'm not saying that we don't have to understand in it. And that's the thing. We can cry out to God. God wants us to understand what He's done for us. If, if up to this point we haven't understood that, just cry out to God. And even read this again. Read Romans 1 through 5 again. And, and continue to ask God, Lord, show me what you've done for me. Show me who I was. Remind me of the, who I was before and what you've done for me. Because when we know who we are and what God has done for us, rejoicing is a natural reaction. So I pray that Jesus truly is our unfailing hope today. And I pray that God will continue to give us hope in Christ and will continue to increase our faith in Him. Well, let's pray and we'll dismiss. Father, we are so thankful for your Holy Spirit's work in bringing us to salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you, by your Holy Spirit, has poured out your love in us. That you have shown us through your word that you have inspired men like Paul and, and Luke and Peter and uh, so many others, James and Matthew and Mark, or to to write your word so that we can hope in Christ, that we can remember and know what you did for us. We thank you so much for your word, Lord. It's something that often we take for granted. Lord, help us to dig into your word and to find hope and to rejoice in what you've done for us. Help our faith to increase. Because... It's by your faith that we're justified. It's by your faith that we have peace. It's by your faith that we have come to be reconciled with you. Lord, help us in this week to live in peace and hope. And because of that hope and peace that we are living in, Lord, we would be rejoicing and found lacking in nothing. Lord, let us be a light to our neighbors, our family, our our friends, co-workers. Cause our reactions to situations to be one of hope, one that would bring about questioning among unbelievers. Lord, I just ask that this very week you would Help each of us to be a, an example to those that we are working around who are unbelievers, those that we may go to school with or encounter in the supermarket. Father, that our reaction to uncomfortable situations, Lord, would lead to an example of Christ glorifying joy and peace. Pray this, Lord, and trust, Lord, that you will be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.